it was presented by uh, previous Ukrainian governments and the previous Ukrainian President Poroshenko as a person somewhat essential. It does, you know, give Zelensky another tool that could be used to go after his political opponent. On the other hand, I think um, Zelensky on his own has been undergoing uh, political transformation. Welcome back to another episode of The Naked Pravda, Medusa's only English language podcast. I'm Eilish Hart, the news editor for Medusa in English. This week, I've been asked to put together a show about some recent developments in Ukraine. Fun fact, my first media job was actually working as an intern at a newsroom in Ukraine, where I met today's guest, Olga Tokaryuk. At the time, Olga was heading up the international desk of the independent broadcaster Hromadsky.ua. She's now an independent journalist and disinformation researcher who also works as a freelance correspondent in Kyiv for the Spanish news agency EFE. I invited Olga on the show to discuss the latest news surrounding Ukrainian oligarch and lawmaker Viktor Medvedchuk, who's well known for his ties to Russia and his personal connection to President Vladimir Putin in particular. Earlier this week, Ukraine's prosecutor general signed off on high treason charges against Medvedchuk. Medvedchuk and his closest ally, lawmaker Taras Kozak, both of whom belong to the pro-Russian opposition party aptly named Opposition Platform for Life. According to the Ukrainian security services, Kozak is actually somewhere in Russia, but Medvedchuk is still in Ukraine. He attended a hearing in Kyiv on Thursday, where prosecutors asked the court to set his bail at about $10.9 million. The judge opted to place Medvedchuk under 24-hour house arrest for the next two months instead. When I spoke to Olga on Thursday, this hearing was still ongoing, so we started our discussion by delving into Medvedchuk's Kremlin ties and his place in the Ukrainian political landscape. When the reports started coming out about this, and especially in English, you'll see headlines that really focus on Medvedchuk as a pro-Kremlin figure and... Putin's main ally in Ukraine. So how would you explain Medvedchuk's ties to Russia and to Putin? So while Medvedchuk is often referred as a pro-Russian uh, politician, he also has more than political ties to the Kremlin. Vladimir Putin is a uh, godfather of Medvedchuk's uh, youngest daughter. So he's referred to as Putin's kum. Basically, uh, Putin is a godfather, a kum of Medvedchuk. So there are also these more personal ties that he has to the Kremlin. And uh, Medvedchuk has been basically seen as a person closest to Putin in Ukraine for many years. That has started uh, even before uh, the uh, conflict in Ukraine and, and the annexation of Crimea and the conflict in, in Donbass. But especially that has been the case since 2014. So uh, Medvedchuk has been a mediator in negotiations with Russia during the presidency of Petro Poroshenko, the previous president of Ukraine. And while it was, he was widely known in Ukraine as very close to Putin, he was widely and is quite widely unpopular in Ukraine uh, because of that, but also because of his past as a lawyer, because of his participation in the trial against the Ukrainian poet and dissident Vasil Stus back in 1980s. So he's been a widely unpopular and perceived in a way as an evil figure, let's put it like that, even in Ukraine for many years. 
still somehow he was presented by uh, previous Ukrainian governments and the previous Ukrainian president Poroshenko as a person somewhat essential to keep close, as a person somewhat essential to maintain contact with Putin and with Russia, and as a person essential to conduct these negotiations, to uh, talk about the release of Ukrainian uh, political prisoners in, in Russia, and so on and so forth. So in a way, while there were many questions to his uh, about his ties to Russia, about his alleged illicit activities, uh, business dealings in Ukraine, no Ukrainian government so far dared to uh, press charges against him or to somehow ask these questions as law enforcement, as representatives of the government. Viktor Medvedchuk's problems began back in February. He lost access to his key media assets after the Ukrainian authorities sanctioned Taras Kozak and took his three pro-Russian television channels off the air. Ukrainian officials, as well as some media experts, argued that these TV channels were actually spreading propaganda and disinformation and acting as mouthpieces for the Kremlin. The Ukrainian National Security and Defense Council then imposed sanctions on Medvedchuk and his wife for allegedly financing terrorism, which put a freeze on their assets for three years. Now, Medvedchuk and Kozak are under suspicion of high treason in connection with three episodes of illegal activity. The first concerns alleged collusion with the Russian government to illegally extract natural resources from the annexed Crimean Peninsula. Less is known about the other two cases, but the second allegedly involved disclosing classified information about the deployment of Ukrainian troops, and the third was an apparent attempt to recruit Ukrainian labor migrants working in Russia to spread propaganda in Ukraine. Medvedchuk has denied the accusations and dismissed the charges as politically motivated. He says he's being repressed as an opposition party leader. However, as Olga pointed out in our discussion, he isn't actually the face of the opposition platform for life. When we are talking that he has been an unpopular and uncharismatic and a toxic figure in Ukrainian politics, this is the case not only for his opponents, but even for the supporters of this party, that he was he's not its face, he's not its number one, he's not its leader, because really he has this reputation and numerous scandals involving him, which doesn't make him like the, the opposition leader in Ukraine. So it's I think it's important to stress that we cannot say that he's a kind of an opposition leader like Alexei Navalny in Russia. That's absolutely not the case. I think that's a very good point to make because, I mean, Medvedchuk is an opposition politician, but I think, you know, first and foremost, he's an oligarch. And in the Ukrainian public, that's, you know, how he's seen. Yeah. The oligarch, but also he has been perceived as a, a as really a, a Kremlin stooge, a, a Russian asset, Putin's pal in Ukraine for for many many years, and I think even the supporters of his party agree with that and and support if they support him, they support him for that and they recognize it. And also, it, it is important to stress that Boyko, who is the leader. Basically, he's the face of this uh, opposition platform uh, for life party. He's the most popular opposition politician. 
And I don't know what are the recent polls, but if we if we check the popularity ratings for Medvedchuk, that would be like one digit, uh, definitely less than 10% support that he enjoys. So absolutely not a figure like Alexei Navalny in Russia, absolutely uh, a dark cardinal perceived for many years as a as Kremlin asset in Ukraine and a very rich person with very murky dealings and very unclear origin of his wealth. When they imposed the sanctions back in February, people didn't really focus on these allegations about financing terrorism. And when you looked at public opinion polling and what people thought was kind of the justification for banning these television channels and sanctioning these opposition politicians, you know, the first thing they named was pro-Russian activity. And the second thing was countering oligarchic influence. At the same time, I mean, imposing the sanctions, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what I understood from the Ukrainian media and from public opinion polls and talking to people was, it was actually a pretty popular move. Like people thought it was a good thing that steps were being taken to counter people like Medvedchuk and the influence they have in Ukraine. And some analysts even correlated it with a, a spike in Zelensky's ratings. So I wanted to ask you, what has been the response in Ukraine to these latest charges? I think you are right that there was big support when the sanctions against Medvedchuk were announced back in February, not as much to the fact that the sanctions and the method were used and were chosen, but uh, to the fact that finally somebody and finally the government is going after Medvedchuk and going after this uh, people who are perceived in Ukraine to be Kremlin's agents because they are consistently and for years advocating a Russian agenda and promoting Russian agenda in Ukraine. And especially after the, the aggression of Russia in, in Donbass and in Crimea, that has been becoming more and more unacceptable in the Ukrainian society. So when the sanctions were announced in February, uh, yeah, what I want to say is that people welcomed uh, this step that somebody, that the government is finally going after Medvedchuk and going after Russian agents. However, there were questions to the method, why the sanctions were chosen as a method, because when you impose sanctions, basically, you don't have to prove it. You don't have to, like, you can just say, well, we have evidence, but you don't have to show it. You don't have to prove it in courts. So there was criticism even inside Ukraine to that method that the sanctions were used and not a, a char criminal charges, not trial. So now uh, when the, the law enforcement has announced that they have enough evidence to press uh, charges on three criminal cases, that shifts this debate into another uh, direction because now this criticism has been addressed. And basically what the Ukrainian law enforcement now does and the government does, they, they answer to these uh, critics by saying, well, uh, you were saying that the sanction, we used sanctions because we didn't have enough evidence and we couldn't launch criminal cases. Well, here's our answer. We have enough evidence. We have collected it and we are now feeling confident enough to be able to press criminal charges and to proceed with the trial. I think that this move will be even more popular in the Ukrainian society and among Ukrainians. Well, of course, that remains to be seen because this is just my perception, uh, you know, for, by the reactions I get on social media and with people I talk to. And it's been just two days, so it's... It, 
early to, early for any polls to be conducted. But my perception is that this move will be even more popular than the previous one. The problem, however, is uh, the Ukrainian judiciary. This has been a problem for, for many years and it remains a problem. And you probably remember and your audience probably remembers uh, that there were some protests in Ukraine just uh, several months ago related uh, to the state of the Ukrainian judiciary calling for judiciary reform. So uh, there are a lot of questions to the Ukrainian judiciary system, which has been unreformed and and uh, a, a lot of scandals have been uh, registered uh, about Ukrainian judges, corrupt, notoriously corrupt judges. So the question now is whether uh, there will be a fair trial, whether Medvedchuk uh, will manage to use his significant both uh, economical weight. He's a very rich person. He has a lot of money. He can buy those corrupt judges. And uh, as well as his uh, political influence, because he's still in some circles, he's an influential figure. Well, first of all, because of his wealth and because he's a rich person and he can buy people. And secondly, well, anyway, among some like powerful uh, circles, he might have, and he uh, he absolutely securely, confidently has uh, some people who support him. What we have to say is that so far, no influential political figure in Ukraine or oligarch has ever been convicted. In any case, there were some cases against some influential figures, uh, especially after the escape of uh, ex-president Yanukovych uh, to Russia. There were some charges pressed against uh, the members of Yanukovych inner circle and the officials of Yanukovych era, but none of these cases actually resulted in a conviction of any high-profile politician or, or oligarch. So will this be the case with Medvedchuk? Well, it remains to be seen. That connects to another point I wanted to talk about around the same time as the charges against Medvedchuk. The Ukrainian Security Council's secretary offered like a sneak peek of a draft law that the government is working on. And it's aimed at, you know, limiting the influence of Ukraine's oligarchs. And so we don't know what's in this draft law. We haven't seen the content of it yet. But the Security Council's secretary did say that they've come up with a definition of what makes someone an oligarch. And they've, you know, figured out that there are 13 people in the country who meet the criteria for this. The media very quickly came up with, you know, lists of the country's wealthiest businessmen and oligarchs who they thought would be the top 10 or the top 13. So I wanted to ask you if you think we're seeing Zelensky finally pushing his government forward on some of his campaign promises to combat corruption and take on oligarchic influence in Ukraine? Or is this just... Um, an instance where we're seeing the government going after individuals rather than kind of tackling the system. I think it is still too early to say that the government is tackling oligarchs as a system. But these are some first welcome steps in this direction. I cannot speculate what lies behind them and how connected that might be also to um, maybe some let's say, pressure uh, uh, by Ukrainian international allies. Last week during the uh, U.S. Uh, Secretary of State 
Antony Blinken visit to Kiev, he uh, raised the issue of corruption with uh, President Vladimir Zelensky. Blinken said that while Ukraine is combating Russian aggression on the front line, it should also deal with the problem of corruption and oligarchic influence inside the country, that these are two sides of the same coin. That's what he actually said, because Russia uses corruption and oligarchs to advance its interests in Ukraine. So in a way, I think that uh, this position of the new U.S. administration that has been taking a much uh, tougher stance on combating corruption in Ukraine and in Russia and elsewhere, this might be in a way um, contributing to this uh, shift in Zelensky position and in his administration position. On the other hand, I think um, Zelensky on his own has been undergoing a political transformation during his two years in power. Next year, it will be two years since he became Ukraine's president. He came to power, yes, on this populist, uh, in a way, uh, slogans of uh, uh, combating poverty and combating oligarchic influence. However, he was perceived and is still perceived by some in the Ukrainian society uh, as a puppet, or at least as a person very close to uh, another powerful Ukrainian oligarch, Ihor Kolomoisky. And uh, initially, uh, Zelensky's stance on oligarchs, uh, despite his promises made during the electoral campaign, was not uh, particularly harsh. There were no particularly uh, strong moves towards countering the oligarchic influence in Ukraine. However, that has been changing over time. And it is interesting that it has been happening simultaneously with his toughening of his stance on Russia, because Zelensky came to power uh, with the promise of peace. Uh, during his first year in office, he repeated uh, several times during his interviews, both to Ukrainian and international media, that he's confident that uh, the war in Donbass can be ended within a year. However, over the last year, it seems he has completely changed his position. He doesn't repeat these promises anymore. And it seems that he himself has understood that it is not so easy to end the war unilaterally only because Ukraine or Ukrainian president, Ukrainian government wants it. That there needs to be a free will and a goodwill of another side as well. And it seems that after talking to uh, to Russia and after uh, coming up with several compromise ideas, such as uh, the prisoner exchange, such as Steinmeier formula or other or ceasefire, unilateral ceasefire that Ukraine uh, declared at Zelensky initiative, he understood that uh, no response from Russia followed to the steps that Ukraine, that his government and his uh, office was taking. And time after time, uh, after Ukraine was making these compromises and offering basically its hand to Russia, but re it received no goodwill gesture in response, Zelensky uh, transformed his position and his stance towards Russia and towards uh, the way how the conflict in Donbass is, is uh, possible to solve into a tougher one. So this change of his tactics on oligarchs coincided in a way, in my opinion, and from what I observe, uh, with the change of his tactics on Russia and on, on the conflict. Looking at this 
legislative initiative to limit oligarchic influence, do you think a bill is necessarily needed? Because Ukraine already has anti-corruption agencies. There's regulators, there's means for tackling unfair and illegal business practices that are already in place. At the same time, when you create a new law, it means it has to go through parliament. And although Zelensky has, you know, this servant of the people supermajority, it's not exactly a united front. His party has struggled to pass substantive legislation for quite some time. And on top of that, a number of Ukraine's top oligarchs have factions within the parliament that are under their influence. So the way I see it, like, Passing a law like this would be difficult, and there are other tools at the government's disposal. No, I think you have a point, absolutely. Well, uh, the important thing is not even passing the law, but implementation of that law. And with that, Ukraine has had some problems, because as you rightly said, Ukraine has a necessary anti-corruption infrastructure that was created during the previous administration. Ukraine has a, a, a anti-corruption uh, court, Ukraine has anti-corruption agency. So actually, after Zelensky came to power, there were some concerns and there were some attacks on these uh, anti-corruption uh, structures. As, uh, uh, and there were concerns voiced by the members of civil society and anti-corruption organization that actually uh, Zelensky administration is cracking down and trying to destroy this anti-corruption infrastructure that was created in, in earlier years. Uh, so... Uh, I don't think the law is necessary. Well, if you ask my opinion, and that's actually also maybe not exactly my opinion, but an opinion I read and I tend to agree with, is that uh, Zelensky still has to be understood in terms of his of his past, right? Yeah, he he's becoming a politician and we've definitely seen him maturing as a politician during his two years in power. However, he's still a person to whom uh, public approval matters a lot. And many of the steps he takes and things he does, uh, he does that uh, thinking about how, what impact it might have on his ratings and what impact it might have on the public opinion. Hi, I'm Vladimir Zelensky, the new president of Ukraine. My vision is to have Ukraine as one of the fastest growing emerging economies in Europe. I lead this vision and my new professional and technocratic government will execute accordingly. Welcome to the country of freedom. Welcome to Ukraine. So uh, the, the law on oligarchs might be one of these things that could be highly popular in the society and can be perceived in the society as a step towards tackling oligarchic influence and that might add him some uh, percentage points in the uh, public opinions, uh, in the ratings of the uh, um, politicians and maybe ahead of the second term. However, uh, there are questions uh, about whether it is really needed, whether it's uh, uh, just a populist move aimed to increase his popularity and his public support, and whether it will really translate into some substantial 
changes and steps uh, on the path of uh, fight against corruption and against oligarchic influence. The other thing that I've seen people bring up as concerns that like this law could be used to go after former President Petro Poroshenko as well. We don't know exactly who's on you know the list of oligarchs, but he does appear to fit the bill. And there's already dozens of pending cases against him in the Ukrainian court system. Do you think this could be abused? It does, you know, give Zelensky another tool that could be used to go after his political opponents. So, yeah, uh, in theory, this law might be used as a tool of uh, uh, pressure uh, um, on on Zelensky's political opponents. However, I think that also, as as you rightly mentioned before, that there are that even. Uh, even though Zelensky seems to be very uh, tightly in power uh, because uh, his party controls the majority in the parliament and he's still the most popular politician in Ukraine and uh, there are still uh, several years of his presidency ahead. However, there is no uh, unity even uh, within his own party and there is always a, a kind of a power struggle going on. So I'm optimistic in the sense that um, Ukraine is still uh, an imperfect but a democracy and that there are uh, still some imperfect but uh, checks and balances in Ukraine that would prevent uh, it from happening and that would prevent this law if approved, and this is a big if, uh, to become a tool of persecution and of pressure their political opponents. Because, well, actually, I think the Ukrainian democracy and the civil society and this, the uh, very varied forces that balance each other has been evolving and developing uh, since uh, uh, 2014. And I think uh, they are mature and strong enough to prevent any really significant and serious abuse and wrongdoing. You've been listening to The Naked Pravda, an English-language podcast from Medusa, and I hope you recommend us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in. Also, if you value Medusa's reporting, either in English or in Russian or both, please consider making a donation at support.meduza.io, and then you can throw in a slash en if you want to read the English version. doesn't matter. Support.meduza.io. That's what you want to... That's, that's the thing to remember. Anyway, you go there, you make a pledge, and you can help sustain our work. Recurring pledges help more, but we'll take whatever you can spare, of course. Thank you for listening, and come back soon.